Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Philippians chapter 3 on page 1180 and we're beginning to read at verse 7, not at verse 12. Verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more... I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only, let us live up to what we have already attained. Heavenly Father, we do indeed pray this evening that you would show us Christ, cause us to delight in him, to see his beauty and his excellence, and move our hearts towards him and to following him from here onwards. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take a seat. And it'd be great if you could have open in front of you Philippians chapter 3. Uh, that's page 1180 in the Bibles. Um, welcome. Um, if you don't know who I am, uh, my name's Chris Tufnell. I, I'm one of the ministers here. Um, very good to see you all um, here this evening. Well, last August, the Israeli long-distance runner, Lona Salpeta, made a mistake that she will remember for the rest of her life. Uh, she was at the European uh, Athletics Championships, um, having... A very good uh, event. She had already won the gold in the 10,000 metres, but then she made a terrible mistake. Uh, She was running in the 5,000 metres, again doing very well, way out ahead in front um, of everyone else, just with one other person um, with her at the front there, fighting it out for gold. Um, And as they were running, they crossed the line, and she uh, lifted up a bit and just started peeling off to the right and uh, looked over her shoulder and realized there was another lap still to go. And she had stopped too soon. Her coach shouted at her, keep running, keep running. But the moment had passed. Uh, It was too late. Uh, She had stopped running because she thought she had arrived at the finish. There's a danger for those of us who are Christians that we can make something of the same mistake that we stop running or pursuing anything much in the Christian life because we think that when we became a Christian, we somehow arrived. That's it. I'm across the line. 
what am I supposed to do now? Uh, I suppose wait for Jesus to come back. Um, oh, and there's the Great Commission, so maybe help other people get across the line. But I'm basically there, right? No, says Paul tonight. If we think like that, we'll stop making any progress in the Christian life. We'll end up spending our lives pursuing all the wrong things, things that just aren't worth pursuing in life. Or perhaps we'll end up pursuing, well, nothing much at all, really, lacking any motivation or ambition, just sitting around, I don't know, watching Netflix, wondering what the point is. Are you a motivated person, I wonder? Are you ambitious? What are you pursuing in life? Anything? In the verses we're looking at tonight, Paul is very clear that he's pursuing something he hasn't yet arrived at, and so he needs to keep running. Last week, we saw what Paul was pursuing. Look down, if you will, at verse 7. Verse 7, he writes, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Are you getting the point? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul's pursuit is to know Christ, to gain Christ and to be found in him. He wants to be so united with Christ that he's thinking, whatever Christ did, I want to follow in his steps. He knew God's power in the face of death and suffering. I want to know that power and participate in those sufferings. He died serving his people. I want to die serving his people. He was raised from the dead. I want to be raised to be with him. It's a bit like at a a wedding, the bride and groom commit to each other so profoundly that they say, whatever the future holds, I want to be with you in it. I want to be with you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, till death us do part. Paul wants to intimately know Christ and be found in him and ultimately be with him. He said in chapter one, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. That's his passion. That's the prize he's pursuing. But it's not just something for rather excitable and extreme Christians like Paul. Look down what he says in verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Paul urges us tonight to make Jesus our pursuit. To see we haven't arrived and we need to press on towards the prize. Take a look down at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Paul is very clear that he hasn't been made perfect, or as another translation puts it, arrived at his goal. In his ambition to know Christ, he's not there yet. Of course, he does already have a relationship with Jesus. He said in verse 12, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And that happened in Acts chapter 9 on the road to to Damascus as Paul was traveling there to persecute the church. Jesus dramatically appeared to him and took hold of him 
That day, he became a follower of Jesus and immediately started telling others the good news about him. Oh, he knew Jesus all right. But he understands Jesus took hold of me for something more, to know him deeply, to experience fully what it means to be one of his disciples and to one day arrive to be with him forever. Just over six and a half years ago, I proposed to my now wife. We were out in the Peak District. I went down on one knee, said some appropriately romantic words, and uh, then uh, uh, just sweetened the deal by offering her some diamonds. Um, that's what we do, isn't it? It worked. She said yes. Uh, but at that point, I, I, didn't, I didn't suddenly lose interest in her. I didn't think, right, rings on the finger, now I can stop showing an interest. No, of course not. I didn't stop pursuing her or stop wanting to know her more at that point. If anything, it made me want to know her more, to spend more time with her, to grow in my love for her as we looked forward to our wedding day. I already knew and loved her then, but today, having done life with her for six years, I know and love her more, you see? If you're a Christian here this evening, there was a time, just think about this, there was a time when Christ Jesus saw you and in love, he reached out and took hold of you. Isn't that a thought? He took hold of you. And he took hold of you for something. That you would pursue him and all that it means to be one of his disciples. To do life with him, living, suffering, dying for him, only to rise and be with him forever. He wants us to grow, to know and love him completely. He doesn't want to make our acquaintance but to become our passion and our pursuit. And Paul humbly sees that he hasn't arrived, that there's a closeness and intimacy with Jesus he's still pursuing. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. I wonder whether you would consider yourself to be a mature Christian. Um, before I started looking at this passage this week, I would have said, yeah, I think I'm, I'm kind of a mature Christian, I reckon. But Paul shows me in these verses, Chris, if you think you're mature as a Christian, the truth is you're not. Uh, Do you see in verse 12, look at verse 12, those words, been made perfect. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. The word being translated there as been made perfect means literally finished, complete, to have arrived. And it's the same word translated in verse 15 as mature. All of us who are mature, complete, finished, should take such a view of things. So just put those two things together, and do you see what Paul's doing? Verse 12, I'm not mature. I haven't arrived. And verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Do you see? So at the heart of being a mature Christian is to realize your immaturity, that you haven't arrived, that there's more growing and maturing still to do. So are you a mature Christian? If you think you are, you're certainly not. If you know you're not, there's a chance you are. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. I haven't arrived. And because we haven't arrived, we need to press on. Halfway through verse 12, Paul continues but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And halfway through verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. How do we press on? 
Well, first, Paul tells us we need to forget what's behind. Many athletes have lost a race because they looked behind to see how they were doing. It makes you lose your focus. It throws you off your stride. And it would have been so easy for Paul to look behind to see how he was doing, either positively or negatively. He could have looked behind to dwell on the spiritual highlights of his life, his record as a very good Jew, or the success of his missionary work, perhaps. Or negatively, he might have been dragged down by the memory of his past sins, his persecution of the church, his murder of Christians, his hatred of Jesus. But Paul knew his past sins were forgiven and his past successes were rubbish compared to knowing Christ and having the righteousness that comes through faith in him. How do we press on? Well, it's likely that there are some here who can't move forward in the Christian life because you're consumed with looking behind, either smugly reliving past successes or feeling crippled and useless because of past sins. If that's you, you can forget what's behind. You can be free of it. If you're trusting in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And your successes, well, they are rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Pressing on means forgetting what's behind. And it also means straining towards what is ahead. Paul had a singular focus on the future. He's pressing on towards knowing Jesus deeply and experiencing fully what it means to be one of his disciples. And he knows that somehow, one way or another, that is going to lead to his death. And death will lead to resurrection. And resurrection will lead to Christ. And that's why, back in chapter one, Paul could write, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. To die is gain, because then I get the prize, I get Jesus. How do we press on? Look at verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, here's the one thing, I press on toward the goal. But we may still be sitting there, scratching our heads, wondering, well, what what does it actually mean or look like to press on toward the goal? What does it look like on Monday morning and day to day? How do I come to know Jesus more deeply and experience more fully what it means to be one of his disciples? Well, let me throw out uh, what I think are five examples of how we can be doing that. Five examples, and, and perhaps one or two or three of these will stick for you. Now, if I were to say, um, we need to read the Bible, well, I expect that there would be a number here who would kind of inwardly groan and go, oh, yeah, that old chestnut, read the Bible. Yeah, I think I've heard that before once or twice. Well, you'll be relieved to hear that isn't actually the point that I'm going to make, although now we're on it, I do hope that you're reading your Bible day by day if you're a Christian. Um, How else will we get to know uh, Jesus more other than reading the one authoritative source we have about him? So do be doing that. But that's not enough, you see. Because reading the Bible can be terrible for your spiritual health, depending on how you read it. Jesus criticized the religious leaders of his day, saying, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, but you refuse to come to me and have life. And we can read the Bible in that way as well. If we read the Bible merely to pack our heads with knowledge to look smart in the next home group, or to assuage the guilt we feel when we don't read our Bibles. It'll be terrible for us. It will harm you. 
We need to read the Bible with the aim to better see and know Jesus. So when you open up your Bible tomorrow morning, pray something like this. Father, as I read your word now, please would you show me Jesus? Show me his beauty, his majesty, his excellence. Help me to praise him and love him more. Amen. Pray something like that. What did we sing just before this sermon? Show us Christ. Show us Christ. That's how we should pray when we come to the Bible. And then when you're reading it, if you ever, read, you ever get that experience, you're reading a passage and you think, what do I, what do I, I don't know, I don't know, what do I get from this? What, what, what do I do with this? Ask yourself this question. What does this show me about Jesus that I can praise him for? Sometimes that takes a bit of digging. You'll get there in the end. Read your Bible to see and delight in Jesus. Secondly, talk to Jesus. As we read through the New Testament, it's very clear that the normal pattern for prayer is to pray to God the Father through Jesus the Son. We gain access to the Father through the Son. That's how we pray. Now, that's entirely right, and mostly our prayers will be to the Father. But don't think that means you can't also pray to Jesus. He's just as much God as God the Father. Stephen prays to him in Acts 7, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, John in Revelation 22. He describes us as his friends. And so as you see things to praise him for in his word, don't leave it there. Actually go on and praise him for them. Speak to him as your savior, as your king, as your friend. Talk to Jesus. That's the second one. Thirdly, being associated with Jesus. Paul said back in verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. He wants to be associated with Jesus even where that means suffering for him. We grow as disciples of Jesus when we embrace whatever shame comes from being associated with him, for better, for worse, on Sunday and on Monday, at church and at home, school, uni, work. I'm with Jesus. Sometimes it will cost us to be associated with Jesus, but it will also move us closer to him as we embrace all that it means to be one of his disciples, and that trade is worth it. So where you see a situation arising where being associated with Jesus is going to cost you, stride happily into that situation, knowing that it will move you closer to Jesus. Be associated with Jesus. Fourthly, talk with other Christians about Jesus. We can help each other to know and love Jesus more as we speak to each other about him and what we're enjoying about him at the moment. I'm so encouraged when I speak to people and they just tell me something that they've read in their Bible recently that makes them love Jesus more and are more excited about him as a result, how they're grateful to him. How's your day been? Oh, it's been great, thanks. Actually, it just started really, I had a really good time reading my Bible this morning. Oh, really? What was so good about it? Oh, I was just reading about how Jesus fed the 5,000 and how they were all satisfied. And it just made me think, wow, isn't it amazing? My satisfaction can only really come for Jesus. Or I was reading um, in Exodus about the Passover lamb and uh, how the Passover lamb died in the place of the firstborn son in every Israelite household. And I just, it struck me again that Jesus is my Passover lamb. He died for me so that I could live. Isn't that amazing? Or I was uh, reading the account of Jesus uh, meeting the rich young man and And it says he looked at him and he loved him. And I just thought, wow, isn't that amazing? Jesus looks at me and loves me, even though I'm conflicted and sinful, just like that man was. Conversations like that. You know, I think that we don't often have those conversations because we think it's 
a bit weird, but we shouldn't feel like that, should we? We shouldn't. Jesus is the, the great thing all of us here have in common. Why wouldn't we talk about him? Let's make it normal, please. Talk with each other about Jesus. Fifthly, read books about Jesus. Next Sunday, we're going to be launching a new a church bookshop. Um, and we're doing that because reading good Christian books that point us to Jesus, it's, it's like taking steroids in the Christian life. It's just, okay, that wasn't, a, that wasn't good, was it? Without the side effects and the illegality of, yeah, that wasn't a good example. It's, it, it, the point is, it, it, you wouldn't believe how it makes you grow. <laughs> Let's stick with that. I should have thought of something other than that. Never mind. It's helped me to grow so much in the Christian life as I've read good Christian books that point me to Jesus. Not one that just kind of stuffs your head with knowledge, but one that actually makes your heart grow for Jesus. When was the last time you read a Christian book like that? Maybe a little less Netflix? A little more Christian books that point you to Jesus? Just a thought. Tips for pursuing Jesus? Read the Bible to see and delight in Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Be associated with Jesus even when it costs you. Talk with others about Jesus. Read books about Jesus. Now, if that list of ideas makes it sound like it's all down to us to grow, remember what Paul said back in chapter 2, verse 12. Continue to work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And hear what he says in chapter 4. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. God gives us the desire and the strength to pursue Jesus. He gives us everything we need. And if any of this makes it sound like our future security depends on our present pursuit of Jesus, look at what Paul says. Christ Jesus took hold of me. God has called me. Verse 20, he'll say, our citizenship is in heaven. Back in chapter 1, verse 6, he said, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Our future is well and truly secure. You might think, so why bother running if the prize is already secure? Huh? Reasonable question. Because Jesus took hold of me for something. And it wasn't so that I could know him in the future, but so that I could know him now and be made perfect in the future. Not so I could know him one day, but so that I could know him today. And there is no greater joy than to know Christ and be found in him. When I stop looking behind, considering myself, my successes, my failures, when I fill my thoughts instead, my sights, with what is ahead, considering Christ and all I have in him, he becomes my passion. And then I make him my pursuit. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. What are you pursuing? Perhaps you're here this evening and you're not a Christian. Thank you for being here. You're so welcome. Can I ask, what are you pursuing? What do you think will make you happy and fulfilled? Paul, the guy who wrote this letter in the Bible we're looking at tonight, he had a lot going for him. He was a very well-respected, very well-educated, upright, successful kind of guy. But when he became a Christian, he said, I consider everything a loss 
compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul discovered there's, there's nothing like knowing Jesus. I found the same. Many in this room have found the same. And so can you. He offers complete forgiveness, a fresh start, an eternal home with him. Will you put your trust in him as your Lord and your King? You can make no better decision if that's you than to make Jesus your pursuit. And Christian, you haven't finished the race. You've just entered a new pursuit. Make Jesus your pursuit. Tonight, tomorrow morning, Tuesday afternoon, Friday evening, make Jesus your pursuit. When you read your Bible, make Jesus your pursuit. When you talk with other Christians, make Jesus your pursuit. When you've got a spare evening, you're wondering what to do, make Jesus your pursuit. And when you're faced with suffering for being his disciple, make Jesus your pursuit. I have a very uh, strong memory, a very strong and pleasant memory from my childhood. Um, I can't have been more than six years old at the time. I remember very clearly um, leaving school, walking across the playground and through the gate onto the pavement. And then uh, along the way, there was a, a long straight road. And uh, uh, along the side of it, a little lay-by where the parents would drop in to, with their car and park to collect the kids, and then there was the pavement. And as I looked down the, the, this long, straight pavement, I saw, uh, just from between uh, two of the cars, my dad step out onto the pavement. And he turned, and he uh, looked towards me down, down the pavement, and uh, he crouched down and stretched out his arms and smiled at me. And of course, what did I do? I smiled back as I looked at him. And I ran, I ran as fast as I could down the pavement towards him and threw myself into his arms. It's a nice memory, isn't it? Friends, we haven't arrived yet, but we're on the home straight. Our future is secure, and one day we will be with Jesus. But for now, forget the past. Fill your sights with him and keep running. And may we each one day burst across the finish line into those loving, waiting arms. I would normally at this point pray, but instead I'm going to give you the chance to. I think we're just going to leave a, a minute or two silence. Perhaps you've felt through God's word this evening, he's been putting something in particular on your heart. Uh, maybe for you it's that in order to go on in pursuing Jesus, you need to forget what's behind, uh, sin or successes that are preoccupying you. Perhaps it's that you need to stop pursuing other things. Perhaps it's that you need to fill your sights with him again. Perhaps you feel like you've been out of the race for a little while now, sat on the sidelines watching others do it, but it's not been you. And tonight you want to get back in the race and start pursuing Jesus. It might be different for, for each of us. And so I'm just going to leave a couple of minutes for you to reflect, um, to think about what God's saying to you and how you're going to respond and to pray. And then at the end of that, the band will lead us in our next song.